You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Welcome to the Collegian Week in Review. Here are your hosts, Maddie Welsh and Lauren Scott. Welcome back to the Collegian Week in Review, where we give you an inside look into Michigan's oldest college newspaper. We're your hosts, Maddie Welsh and Lauren Scott. And today we'll be talking to Christian Peck Dimmitt about the Charger football game that people are calling the greatest upset in Division II this season, Test Owen about a new women's dorm being built on campus, Michael Bachman about the off-campus craze causing students to snap up Manning Street houses months in advance, Haley Strack about a drag show in Hillsdale last month, and Thomas McKenna about the state senate race in Michigan. This is Maddie, and I'm here with Christian Peck Dimmitt, the associate editor of The Collegian. Christian writes about Charger football, and this week he wrote about a game that was Hillsdale's greatest upset since 2011. Christian, tell me a little bit more about this game and this story. Yeah, so uh, we took down Ashland on Saturday. Uh, The Ashland Eagles were number six in the nation. They were undefeated going into that game. We beat them by 16, so relatively handily. And like Maddie alluded to, it is the first time that we've beaten a top 10 team since 2011 when we beat, I believe, number four ranked Grand Valley State. And the interesting thing, talking to some of the players, especially uh, running back Mike Herzog, who had two touchdowns in this game, they actually watched at the beginning of the year the full game footage from that Grand Valley game. He gave me this great quote about the idea that they watched that and thought, man, wouldn't it be cool to do that someday and now he said he hopes that you know some kids will watch the tape of their game from this Saturday maybe we can do that someday what were some of the highlights of the game uh so certainly uh I think as every week Isaac Tesla is a highlight reel in and of himself on both the first and the second touchdown drive for the Chargers they were set up by long touchdown passes or long passes rather to Tesla uh, the first one, 38 yards, was just incredible. At, like Laid out horizontally, caught it along the left boundary with his left hand. Just an incredible catch. Maybe the best one I've seen him make all year. That set up uh, Luke Keller's run for a touchdown. And then in the second quarter, he had another 40-yard catch uh, that set up a Herzog run for a touchdown. The, the team played great on both ends. It really just... It was a very exciting game to watch, especially knowing that like we should not be in this game at all, let alone leading for the majority of it. Tesla broke a Charger record. Kind of. Uh, so he passed 1,000 yards in a season. Uh, he becomes the eighth, or rather the sixth Charger to ever do that. However, he is currently eighth on the all-time single-season receiving yards list because a couple of Chargers, including Trey Brock, have done that multiple times. Uh, along those lines, Trey Brock, of course, a Charger great uh, that graduated actually a year before Tesla came in his senior season, set the single season receiving yards record. I believe it was just north of 1,400 yards. Tesla is currently at just over 1,000. So it's possible he's got two regular season games left. He'd have to average, you know, a little bit less than 200 yards a game, which is perhaps not feasible, but certainly realistic for him. Were there any awards after this game? Absolutely there were. So actually we swept, well I guess there are three uh, conference awards given out every week. So the uh, GMAC Offensive Player of the Week, Defensive Player of the Week, and then Special Teams Player of the Week. Uh, Luke Keller, our fifth year quarterback, got the Offensive Player of the Week. Uh, Coach Otterbein, uh, head coach Keith Otterbein, said, I guess, you know, there's three. Otterbein's got to differentiate here. uh, Said that it was probably Luke's best game all season. Luke said he'd agree with that. Uh, He 
only threw four incompletions all game, had about 230 total yards, two total touchdowns, looked really poised. And then on the defensive end, sophomore DB Jackson Gillick uh, won Defensive Player of the Week. Uh, he won a couple of them last year. This is his first time this season winning one. Really, He had, I think, eight total tackles, a couple of pass breakups, and the key for him uh, was this huge 17-yard pick-six return uh, early in the fourth quarter that a couple of the players, Tesla and Gillick himself, said was kind of the, the turning point where they you know, it snapped in their head. They realized, like, we're about to beat these guys. We're about to win this game. So you said there's two more regular season games. What is it looking like for the Chargers? So they've got two games left, as you said. Uh, Michigan Tech uh, versus the Huskies at home on Saturday, and then they're away for ODU the following week this week. Uh, Of course, being their last home game will be their senior night. They're celebrating uh, their 12 graduating seniors that have really stepped up as leaders this year. And it will also be my last ever call uh, for the station on on a home football game. So make sure to tune in. How do you think they'll do in those games? Great question. Uh, it's mi- Judging Michigan Tech is always a difficulty because they play in the GLIAC. For those of you that don't know, the GLIAC football-wise is just about you know as stacked as they could be. Grand Valley State uh, University is, is a, a superpower uh, in, in D2 college football. GVSU is number one in the nation and the Ferris State Bulldogs are also in the GLIAC. I believe they're top 10 as well. I want to say seventh. So very, very good football played in the GLIAC. So Michigan Tech is three and six. However, they're certainly much better than their record because they obviously took tough losses to some very good teams. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Christian. Of course, anytime. You're listening to the Collegian Week in Review. This is Lauren, and I'm talking with Tess Owen, an assistant city news editor of The Collegium. She wrote an article about a new dorm that is expected to be open in July of 2023. Tell me about how this dorm is going to add to dorm culture on campus. I'm not exactly sure how it will, but when I spoke with Bridget Whalen, my good friend and head RA of McIntyre, she thinks it's going to be really good for dorm culture because you're going to have a huge unit of girls dorms. And so she went on at length about like the different kinds of events that she would want to do and just like encouraging inner dorm friendship community. So, I mean, she's she's awesome. She spoke at length about uh, John Henry Newman. So she has a pretty uh, awesome vision. I understand it is going to be an upperclassmen women's dorm. Mm -hmm. Did you speak to anybody who said, why it was going to be a women's dorm opposed to a men's dorm? Yeah, so I spoke with Richard Payway, chief administrative officer, and the only reason he gave me was that of it was its location and its proximity to Benzene and New Dorm. So the dorm is being built beside New Dorm, mm-hmm. which is a dorm on campus that its name is New Dorm, which is kind of confusing because now there is a newer New- dorm yep. being built yep. beside it. So. Do you know anything about what this newer dorm will be called? Nope. Um, Payway said that they're still searching for a donor who would give a leading gift and then buy that or from that gift would get naming rights. So it might, for now, it's just new, new dorm. Basically, everyone I spoke to referred to it that way. Hopefully they, they find someone or they can just come up with their own name. Thank you for joining us, Tess. <laughs> sure thing. Thanks for having me. The Collegian Week in Review continues.
This is Maddie, and I'm here with Michael Bachman, an assistant news editor for The Collegian. And this week, he wrote a story for the feature section about the phenomenon of getting leases for houses way early. Michael, tell me a little bit more about this story. So we had this idea for a story when we heard about I think three houses on Manning that we knew had already signed leases and we wanted to know more because it had happened really, really early in the semester. The editor for that section for features, when she moved off campus, I I believe they signed the lease in the spring semester in March or April. So that kind of gave us the idea of writing uh, a story comparing that to what we see now where students are signing leases. I think the earliest one this year was signed on September 3rd. So that's just a huge difference, like September versus April. And we kind of just wanted to know why that was happening, how many houses had signed leases already, what students were trying to get off campus, and so on. So what is the reason people are signing leases so early? Honestly, in talking to the students and the landlords, they don't really know either. Obviously, this phenomenon has mostly been happening on Manning Street, which has always been a popular place for students to live off campus um, because it's kind of the heart of off-campus culture and weekend activities. But even with that said, like people usually don't sign leases on Manning Street this early. I think what happened, honestly, was just that one group signed their lease early for a pretty popular house that other students also were looking into. And then as soon as they signed the lease, other students panicked. And then they signed leases. And then that just had a snowball effect because everyone saw that the houses they wanted were being signed. So people started to get worked into a panic. And then all the houses were signed by the end of September. Do you know how many houses have already signed leases for the next academic year? Uh, I spoke to Becky, who is a landlady on Manning Street, and all four of her houses she had signed leases for. Um, I know Waffle House also on Manning had signed their lease, um, and a few of the ATO houses as well. Also my house, I signed a lease for for next semester as well. So quite a few houses on Manning Street are already taken. So when you talked to this landlord, what did you learn from her? What is she thinking about this phenomenon? So she was equally as miffed as I was. Um, And she said that was something that she had been speaking about with other landlords on Manning Street to try to figure it out. Well, she partially attributed just to how nice her houses are, which is not just her being bragging. Her houses are very, very nice and very, very popular. Yeah, she really, she honestly didn't know. Like, she was equally as confused as I was. It's It really is still a mystery, like I said at the beginning. Thanks for coming on, Michael. Of course. Thank you for having me. Radio Free Hillsdale's The Collegian Week in Review continues. This is Lauren, and I'm interviewing Haley Strack, a senior reporter at The Collegian, and she wrote an article about a drag queen bingo event that happened at a local bar here in Hillsdale. So Haley, why don't you tell us a little bit about this event? What was the purpose, and what was it like? Absolutely. So... We have heard a lot in the news recently about drag queens, especially in schools and, you know, pornographic material being introduced into schools. Something that came way before that, which I'm sure a lot more people are familiar with, are these seemingly innocent 21 and up drag shows. Um, A very popular form of it has been drag bingo for a while. We heard, the Collegian heard, that one of these performances was coming to Hillsdale and it was a charity event. It was for a domestic abuse charity survivors strong which as far as i can tell has has wonderful leadership has done great things in the community has been tied to domestic harmony before 
and is really set to, you know, help survivors of domestic abuse. However, the way they chose to do this was a drag queen bingo event, which elicited some strong reactions from community members who, as we know, you know, Hillsdale County is a very red county. Uh, This is a county that's projected to vote red in every single election, has voted red in every single election, will continue to vote red in every single election. So that's kind of the overview of you know, the the logistics of the event. What actually happened at the event, it was at a local bar called 55 Below that's located beneath Broad Street Market, if people know where that is, the one liquor store in town. Uh, It was at a 4 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon, (laughs) right before Halloween, the weekend before Halloween. uh, There was a, you know, a costume prize. People dressed up, some were a little more scantily clad than others, drag queens included. Um, And the drag queens opened the night with some performances, with some dances. From there, they just, they called out some bingo numbers. People won some prizes. People drank. There were a few more performances and costume changes. uh, And that was about it. I understand there was a little item passed out to people. Do you mind explaining a little bit about what it was? Absolutely. So there, uh, you know, it's a it's a hot topic debate right now, abortion in Michigan, as we all know, as it is, you know, nationwide. One at one drag queen in particular, I won't name her name, his name. <laughs> one drag queen was wearing a neon pink dress with sewn on plastic babies. There were hundreds of plastic babies woven into this dress. Uh, Obviously a nod to everything happening in Michigan right now with abortion on the ballot, post-row. And interestingly, uh, this drag queen had more plastic babies in a little pocket, which he pulled out of his pocket and started tossing around to audience members. Some pretty, some pretty vulgar things were said to women audience members, and I'll speak to my own experience with this drag queen, uh, but I tried to refuse the plastic baby that he was handing me on some could call it principle. <laughs> I tried to refuse, and, you know, he kind of pushed the baby into my face, and another drag queen yelled from the stage, oh, don't worry, she'll take your babies unborn or not. And, you know, it's very unfortunate, again, in Hillsdale County uh, that people would support such a thing, but even just past that, um, you know, things said throughout the night by drag queens were things like, isn't this the best thing you've ever seen in Hillsdale? We're infiltrating Hillsdale. It's from what I heard from community members, specifically about the baby passing around, um, it's concerning that drag queens would have such a platform to disrespect life in Hillsdale. You mentioned some Hillsdale political figures in your um, article, such as Mayor Adam Stockford and State Representative Andrew Fink. What did the two of them have to say about this event? So I think both of them in terms of, well, some community members, I'll start by saying this, uh, decried the local business that hosted this event. Um, the public officials that you mentioned, specifically Fink and Stockford, made a point of saying, okay, listen, you know, we don't know if this business is struggling. We also don't know what this business's political leanings are. Uh, individual members of the community can make their own choices. But if these businesses want to host such an event, you know, that's their prerogative. And we certainly wouldn't support such a thing. Both of them said, you know, we, 
we wouldn't go to that. That's gross. <laughs> that was a direct quote from the mayor. But uh, I think I think the mayor had a really good line, which I think is in the article, that he's not going to combat left-wing totalitarianism with right-wing authoritarianism. So, you know, both Fink and Stockford, Stockford shared that similar sentiment. You also interviewed a Hillsdale alumna and somebody from St. Anthony's Church. Uh, what did they say about what this means for Hillsdale and also what the citizens of Hillsdale should think about this and action that they should take? Yeah. So I think the person you're referring to, Heather Trichka, who is the vice president of Hillsdale Right to Life and also, you know, a, an active member in the church community here in Hillsdale and also raised her family here in Hillsdale and now has two uh, daughters. She had a really good point, I think. Um, one that, you know, especially when we're talking about how a drag show is is the fundraiser for a, a charity that seems to be very good, that has a good purpose, that has good intent. Uh, she said, we can't bring depravity in to try and combat some other form of depravity. Uh, speaking specifically, you know, we can't, we can't bring drag queens in. We can't, you know, expose the community to some sort of depravity just because domestic abuse happens. Of course, both are awful. Uh, the the existence of one or the funds you can get from one, you know, they, they shouldn't be enough to allow such an event. Um, so that's that was kind of her take. And she also, again, was very concerned that this was a platform to speak on abortion that 55 Below gave drag queens, that this charity gave drag queens, that the community members who attended this event gave drag queens the opportunity to so strongly disrespect babies. All right. Thank you for joining us, Haley. Of course. You're listening to The Collegian Week in Review. This is Maddie, and I'm here with Thomas McKenna, a freelancer for the Collegian. And this week, he wrote a story about the state senate race in Michigan. Thomas, tell me a little bit about this race in the election and what you wrote about it. Well, voters head to the polls next Tuesday, November 8th. And one of the races that will be on the ballot is the state senate race for this District 16. Now, there are a few things that make this state senate race a bit unusual compared to the past few years. The first thing is that the incumbent isn't running. He's reached his two-term limit. It was Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky. Uh, now the two candidates that are running are Republican Joseph Bellino Jr. and Democrat Katie Beth Davis. The thing that we should know is that the three counties that the new district encompasses after the redistricting in 2020 and 2021, this time around, has left it with three counties that all went over 20 points for President Trump in the 2020 election. So this is a pretty deep red district, and Representative Bellino is... Uh, pretty confident that he'll take home a victory on Tuesday. What are some of the policies that both the candidates are running on? Well, both candidates are in favor of some sort of reduction in the gas tax. For Ms. Davis, the Democrat, she was in favor of just cuts to the gas tax in general, while Representative Bellino said that he would be in favor of some sort of gas tax holiday that would temporarily suspend the gas tax to give drivers some relief while inflation is high. Another issue that both of the candidates are running on is the abortion issue. And obviously with Prop 3 on the ballot, that's something that's going to be driving voters to the polls. For Mr. Bellino, he told me that he was staunchly pro-life and that he hopes that Proposition 3 fails. Well, uh, Ms. Davis said that Proposition 3 is first and foremost in her mind and she hopes it's in the mind of her voters as she is in favor of Prop 3. What else is Davis 
running on. One of the things that she mentioned uh, was the minimum wage. She says that she's in favor of raising the minimum wage even higher than $15 an hour. Now, right now, the minimum wage in Michigan is scheduled to be gradually higher year over year. But Miss Davis says that she wants it even higher. Uh, when I asked her, she said as high as $50 would be her ideal minimum wage if she could get that kind of consensus among her fellow lawmakers in Lansing. What do you think it's going to look like in the polls on Tuesday? Well, Representative Bellino, the Republican, believes that he's going to come home with a victory on Tuesday. Uh, he has some reason to believe that, as the three counties that this new district encompasses all went pretty strongly, pretty decidedly uh, for President Trump in 2020. Another thing to note, though, is that Ms. Davis believes she has a 50-50 shot. She believes that voters are going to turn out, especially because of abortion and because of what she calls extremism among the Republican Party and on the right wing of politics in America in general. Thanks Thank for coming on the show, Thomas. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You have been listening to the Collegian Weekend Review on Radio Free Holstale 101.7 FM. We're your hosts, Lauren Scott and Maddie Welsh. You can find The Collegian online at hillsdalecollegian.com or on Instagram and Twitter at hdalecollegian. Once again, you have been listening to The Collegian Weekend Review on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.